0: Welcome to Scranton, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host Rosalind Erskine and on this episode I take an immersive journey to find out how sound can affect taste. Have you ever thought about what you hear and how it can impact your other senses? Have you sat in a restaurant and felt completely zen and relaxed surroundings with gentle classical music playing in the background? Or have you found yourself tapping your toes and munching into a burger at a fast food restaurant? On today's podcast, we meet the fascinating trio of unusual ingredients. Jacob Thompson Bell, Adam Martin, and Caroline Hopkinson. They've recently visited Glasgow as part of the Sonica 2022 festival, where they led an immersive experience performance where audience members ate their way through the show, all while being played different music and sound effects the aim of which is to show just how much what we hear can influence our taste and experience. I also spoke to Jamie and Zach from Glasgow's award-winning Absent Ear Speakeasy Bar, who hosted a cocktail evening in a similar vein, and told me all about how cocktail making is now a multifaceted experience. Feel free to join in with our experiments today. Make yourself a coffee or get some chocolate to try it out with us. Today I'm in the Absent Ear Bar in Glasgow and I'm joined by Adam Martin and Jacob Thompson-Bell and we are going to do some really interesting ex- sort of experiential things with music and food. Is that right guys?
1: Sounds about right, yeah.
0: Sounds a bit weird but... <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to have two foodstuffs and a drink and you're going to play music and we're going to see how the music affects the taste of that food and then in a little bit later we're going to discuss how you guys came to do this and, and what you're doing in Glasgow. So will we just dive straight in? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so what's up first?
1: So we're going to start with um, a coffee, a cup of black coffee. And uh, what we're going to be doing is using sound to modulate the perception of sweet and bitter notes in the same cup of coffee. So. Uh, This is based on a whole load of um, perceptual science, a lot of research into the ways that people respond to say high sounds um, and low sounds, to different kinds of instrumentation as well, um, and how those kinds of sounds are perceptually linked to um, particular flavor qualities in coffee, but also in things like dark chocolate, cinder toffee, all of those kinds of things that have something that's a bit sweet, something that's a bit aromatic, but also those kind of dusky, bitter undertones. So what we're trying to do here is to bring out those elements uh, that are there in the coffee that are kind of um, latent within the coffee and using sound to kind of enhance and elevate that experience so this track is going to move I won't tell you which direction maybe I'll just kind of let you um, let you listen and taste and see what you think but this is going to move you from one to the other so two different spaces if you like in terms of the flavors um, and uh, yeah it'd be interesting to see kind of how that does or doesn't affect your kind of perception of what you're drinking and the flavors in it
2: Okay.
3: So just take a sip um, whenever you're ready. Okay. Refresh as you wish.
0: That tastes really better. It's getting a bit mellower and nicer. It's surely better again. <laughs> well, that's. Somehow got even more bitter. (laughs) I don't know if it was some point. Yeah, that's that's nicer. And yeah, that's really bitter. Is that was that supposed to be? Really, really bitter, then nicer, and then really bitter again.
1: It goes from sweet to bitter. So I reckon you probably had a bit of black coffee, and we like, "What's just hit me here?" <laughs> and, then, and then you had the, you know, the audio from the track, which is using research that's been tested scientifically a number of times. But I know that there's a kind of really wide um, agreement, if you like, that these different kinds of frequencies change the way that we perceive our food, or at least they kind of accentuate things that are already there. So, you know, um, obviously you can't see um, but that cup of coffee was the same cup of coffee all the way through there's nothing that was changed about it those those flavor qualities were always there you know there's not one way of experiencing that coffee as well everybody will have a slightly different sort of reaction but what's going on there is that we're using high frequencies to bring out the sweetness Um, we're using uh, high strings high piano to bring out the sweetness these are all things that are based on research Uh, by in particular Charles Spence, um, a a paper he wrote a number of years ago called Bittersweet Symphony, which is about how you can do just this. And in the second half of that track there, when you were kind of saying, this is horrible, um, (laughs) that's uh, using low frequencies and also um, kind of dusky, dry kind of sounds in order to accentuate the bitterness. But I mean, maybe accentuate is the wrong word. I think um, we did a taste test, didn't we, with some um, coffee roasters, coffee tasters in Leeds. And there was like, you know, five, six people all who professionally taste coffee. So like they know what they're talking about. They've got all the vocabulary. They know, like they'd they, they know if we were trying to trick them, um, put it that way. And they all tasted these coffees, listened to the track. And their response was that when they heard the bitter sounds, it was like a sort of lid had been put on the flavors, like all of the aromatics, all of that kind of, you know, um, thing that gives the coffee its qualities in a way was sort of suppressed and then released again when you go back to sweet, um, which is like absolutely amazing. From my point of view, because this is when we first started doing the project, this is one of the first things that we did. And um, it's like being able to suddenly do a card trick that you don't fully understand. Um, and so the last sort of three, four years then has been us been sort of figuring out why that works and how we can then use that kind of more uh, extensively in different tracks as well.
3: It did really bother me that they didn't seem surprised about it. I mean, they didn't know about the science, but they're like, oh, yeah, that's just different. You yeah. taste coffee all the time. <laughs> Surely <laughs> this is mind blowing to you. Yeah.
1: yeah. But it's, it's really weird, like, um, the, you know, you would think smell. Okay. Uh, something about the way the coffee looks would affect the taste of it. Obviously the, the taste. Yeah. But when we're talking about taste and flavor they're you know, that are two different things, taste being on the tongue, flavor being that's something that's multi-sensory basically. Um, and that has all of these, um, uh, factors which affect it. that You don't think about sound being one of them. So background music in like a, a bar or a restaurant, whatever it might be. Um, That affects uh, flavour. If you go to uh, a a nightclub um, or a bar which is playing particularly loud, kind of bass-heavy music, that suppresses certain um, uh, perception of alcohol, so um, people can drink more without the drinks tasting bitter, um, all of these kinds of things have an impact, but you can also do it in the way that we're doing, which is a more, I suppose it's just sort of placing more emphasis on the specifics of that sensory experience, you know, it's not in, it's not in a normal context, and that's not the sort of thing that you do every day, but it is still uh, relying on sensory organs and, you know, your, your kind of neural pathways that are being used every day to perceive your coffee, to perceive the world around you. We're sort of placing it under a, like a microscope or a spotlight, and we're saying, okay, what's What's there? How do these things interact? I love um, playing people these tracks in, in this kind of setting and just watching someone's face and like, you know, you can see that people are really trying to figure out what's going on. And actually, I'm kind of less, I don't know what you think, Alan, but I'm less worried about whether or not they get the result that I was expecting. I'm more excited about the fact that they're just really focusing on what's happening and whether or not this strange counterintuitive thing is actually happening for them. This, what's going in through their ears affecting what's happening in their mouth. Which you would never normally expect and it's suddenly it's like a almost like a meditative experience it's quite a mindful kind of thing
0: um, so we're moving on to the second tasting and i am listening to all the music through headphones so it's not what <laughs> it's not what you can hear in the bar so what's what is next
3: we're going to do popping candy next so we urge you to take a
1: spoonful of popping candy and place it in your mouth before you consume said candy I might just I'll tell you a little bit about the inspiration behind this track and, and how it's working a little bit so this is playing off um, something called semantic congruence which is where um, things you experience in one modality so in your hearing uh, can affect what you experience in another so in this case uh, taste um, so and also texture as well so if you think of the crackle of the candy in your mouth and the way it sort of pops on your tongue and also the sound of the candy itself, Your brain will combine the cues from the candy with the cues from the music into one kind of sensory experience because we're sort of predisposed to do that. You see uh, somebody walking down the street, you hear their footsteps. That's two different bits of sensory information which your brain adds up. And so we're playing on that particular perceptual phenomenon in order to kind of create uh, the most crackly popping candy you've ever experienced.
0: Okay.
3: Feel uh, welcome to take a headphone off at points if you want to hear it in your mouth as well. Okay. Here's the track. (laughs)
0: <laughs> like yeah exactly what you're said to the point where it's like you can't really hold your mouth open and do that. <laughs> but yeah that was yeah that was oh it's still going <laughs> it's still, yeah.
3: it lingers yeah still crackling we when we've done events it's pretty amazing when there's a group of people all doing it and turning to kind of hear each other's <laughs> popping candy in their own ears and not knowing what's coming to the speakers or what's in the room
1: it's it's intense. Yeah, you lose all sense of spatial awareness as well, um, because you can't tell if it's coming over the speakers or over your headphones, or if it's coming from in your mouth, or if it's coming from the person next to you, or if it's reverberating from across the other side of the room. These things all kind of like mix together, so it, it, you yeah. get this like almost slightly weird out of body experience when everybody's crackling around you, you know, and you can hear hear the music as well. So it's like you don't you don't kind of know where you are in relation to everybody else, which is like a isn't something that we actually anticipated when we first put that track together, to be honest. It's, it was a sort of... Um, uh, a thing that we found out once we got enough people together in a room, you know. If you taste test it with, like, five people, it's nice, but if you've got 200 people in a room, it gets a bit interesting. <laughs> yeah. I feel quite bad if you do He's not on your own with us watching you. <laughs> it's less communal.
3: <laughs> Should we move on to the final one? Yep. So we're going to do milk chocolate, um, which is this chap in the box. Um, and the idea of this one was to try and make chocolate taste as good as it can using sounds. Uh, So you're gonna hear a variety of sounds um, that we put together from different bits of research that are basically there to make it taste nice, hopefully. Um, If you put the uh, the chocolate in your mouth and try and just let it dissolve naturally, avoiding the opportunity to chew, which is difficult. (laughs) Here we go.
0: Does taste really, really creamy and really good, like really not too sweet, but yeah. Sorry, couldn't really talk much during that because they is it the lint? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. they are. Well, I shouldn't say this, but I don't normally like them, but that actually tastes really good. Oh, great, (laughs) (laughs) sorry to learn. But the, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it's very, very creamy, but in like a it tastes different to what it normally would from having had these before.
1: So it's playing on um, uh, the kind of way the body responds to food there as well. You know, the the way that you put something sweet and hopefully delicious um, in your mouth and then you salivate. And so you've got these kind of lapping waves um, and also the kind of uh, texture of the music is supporting that texture of the foods. The creaminess is from the kind of density of the, the, the orchestration in there and also the sweetness Playing again on the um, stuff we're talking about to do with the coffee, so using high piano sounds to uh, accentuate sweet notes, and obviously chocolate's sweet anyway. That, that milk chocolate is sweet anyway, but it just kind of intensifies it and makes you focus on um, like how you how you respond to that food when it when it when it goes into your mouth, um, it, just in a way that you might not normally. That's that's really what we're after is kind of getting people to to focus in a more intense way than they ordinarily would on, on the things that they're eating, even on something seemingly kind of insignificant like a like a chocolate. You know, something you wouldn't necessarily think twice about normally. Um, It suddenly becomes uh, more, uh, like, something more interesting, memorable, uh, meaningful rather than something mundane. We also made the track quite lazy in terms of its
3: timing and its sound so that people feel in our experience of it, feel quite welcome in that space. Like It's quite a nice place to inhabit when you've got the chocolate going on. Because uh, some of the tracks we do are a more a little more confrontational, <laughs> where it maybe it's like, oh, this is a lot to take or a bit more intense. And I think that's a really nice moment of just relaxing with a piece of chocolate and the waves lapping and the nice sound that's a bit more uh, kind of in your own head rather than the popping candy, which is kind of more a part of the place you're in
1: yeah that's a really interesting point as well because you know <laughs> food happens within and also without you know it's that that communality of eating um something like popping candy you can hear it one another something with chocolate is this sort of more introspective you know so it doesn't make any noise it's just completely silent this melting kind of creamy milk chocolate um so it happens completely within completely inside your your mouth and your body rather than hearing what's going on with other people, so the music kind of responds to that to some extent as well. I think, um, you know, it's really important for us that it's it's based in science, it has links to science, but we're artists and so this is an artistic response, this is a creative thing, so we're using music to, to tell stories as much as anything else. You know, it's a, there's a poetic dimension to it, it's the, the kind of sound of the, the melodic line, the harmony that we use, the textures that we create, the way that we produce the track as well. That's all about, um, kind of mapping uh, onto the food um, using musical expectations. So you, you you would expect certain kinds of music to go with ex- uh, certain kinds of food, perhaps because of the, the nature of the experience being pleasurable or maybe n- not so pleasurable depending on what you're eating. You'd expect certain kinds of sounds based on where the food is from. Also kind of cultural expectations. So with things like popping candy, playing music that's kind of got this big, almost like symphonic orchestration with a kid's suite is sort of deliberately slightly fun and silly. Um, and it, it kind of takes it out of context as well, because you, you wouldn't normally uh, associate that kind of music with something you eat in the playground, you know, on your way home from school. Um, so playing on those expectations and also uh, subverting them a little bit is, is something that we do as musicians anyway um, and in the work that we're doing with food here, the multi-sensory work, um, we can use those same kind of approaches Um so chocolate's kind of a good example of that, you know, creating a like a, a musical composition that feels like it goes with chocolate that has those kind of um, stylistic attributes that you would expect
0: we're here so i've said we're in the Absent year bar in glasgow and you guys are here because people are going to actually be able to congregate and do this thing live with you and live music and and is that what's happening
1: yeah so uh we're we're doing a few things whilst we're in glasgow so um this evening we're going to be at the Absent Ear working with the team there um, on a, a, an experiential cocktail night. So that's all about using sound as um, a way of enhancing the flavours um, in the cocktails, but also kind of going back to like what I was saying about uh, food stories, you know, telling a story about, let's say, where uh, the central ingredient is from, be it that seaweed or, um, uh, you know, uh, whatever it might be in the cocktail, kind of linking that to a particular terroir, to a particular provenance. Uh, So it could be um, to the ocean or it could be linking it to a forest or a mountain or whatever it might be. So it's using using sand to do that. And then on Friday night, we are doing uh, an event as part of Sonica 2022 Festival. And what we're going to do there is have 200 people in a room eating some of those things and other things as well. A variety of different um, things on the menu, everything from uh, gold leaf wrapped potato through to bubblegum jawbreaker and popping candy. It's kind of like the most weird and wonderful tasting menu you can imagine. Um, But it's using, again, sound as, um, like an element of food design. So, you know, you think, as I said about, um, you think about the way something looks, about the way it tastes, about the way um, it feels in the hand, you know, sort of tactile dimension. Maybe you don't always think about how sound can have a big impact on food perception. And so what we're doing is introducing kind of additional elements into that food experience so that people then, form maybe a deeper emotional connection to the food. They think about where it's from. They think about what it's like for them to eat it. They think about, in a room full of other people, what it's like for everyone else to eat that food as well. Um, and they think maybe about the kind of experience of communality that you have in, in um, a shared eating experience. You know, Normally maybe you, you wouldn't eat in a room with 200 people, but you might eat in a room with five people or 10 people quite happily, or in a restaurant with 50 people. Um, so it's just kind of scaling up that experience until it becomes um, something out of the ordinary. So the way that event will, will work is we will be playing our music live, so piano, synth, loads of different kind of field recordings that we've collected, like all over the place, different kinds of things using hydrophones along the Yorkshire coastline under, under the water, um, recording the underwater sounds um, to accompany uh, Norrie Seaweed. Uh, We recorded a lot of beehives for the track called Honey and that was personal hell for me
3: as someone that doesn't really like being around bees. We were around hundreds of thousands of bees capturing the sounds of them in the hives uh, which is quite a a chaotic and amazing
1: sound. There's eight mini courses, so eight ingredients that we've got. Caroline Hopkinson, who we work with, she's a food artist and anthropologist. She's part of our our Unusual Ingredients trio and she leads the audience um, through that kind of tasting experience so she'll say a little bit about what's going on and then Adam and I um, will play the music um, and hopefully manipulate people's perceptual experience.
0: It's interesting as well because in this day and age when people on social media take lots of pictures of food but you don't necessarily spend the time that we just have thinking about it really like I don't know if everyone's like me but you just you just eat. And you've got to kind of stop yourself to go chew it ten times or, you know, really try and don't just shovel it down and then that's it. So people are interested in food and they're posting a lot about it, but this seems to be a thing whereby you can stop and really appreciate what it is that you're eating as well as how your, like you said, your, your surroundings can change it and what you yeah, listen to.
3: Yeah, we, one of the unexpected outcomes of this project and the things we've done is how much the feedback we've gotten from people has been about how nice it was to spend an hour kind of in their own heads thinking about, like you said, that relationship between what they're tasting and what they're hearing um, which is so much more, like use used the idea of a microscope earlier, really, it's so much more detailed than people would, would regularly do. And like you said about the social media side and food becoming very visual and um, focusing on just the taste of it because the things in our boxes aren't incredibly beautiful like they are in restaurants. So it becomes very taste and sound in a very uh, inside the headway rather than the the social media views.
1: We're so used to looking at the world and thinking about the world through our eyes Um, and and visuals have this kind of permanence um, and they're easy to transfer. You know, you can send it to somebody, uh, you can control, you can turn your phone off and you don't see it anymore. you turn it back on. Um, You can shut your eyes and you can't see anything. You can open them and you, you make that choice but um, I think things like taste, smell, sound, you know, like they, they have a kind of volatility and a sort of um, elusiveness, like an ephemerality maybe. They're slippery. Yeah, they're slippery, exactly. They, they, they kind of go through the cracks. Um, like you, you're not expecting them to turn up and they do. You um, you could stick your fingers in your ears, but you can still hear the blood pumping in your body. You can still hear things from inside yourself. You can never shut your ears off entirely. Um, and at the same time, you know, you can all kind of relate to, uh, the aroma of a dish, um, kind of drawing you in, or um, the way that uh, if you have things on your plate that don't go together flavor-wise, it's really hard to extract one flavor from another. They start to commingle, and you can't really do much about that. So they're, they're kind of um, the difference of the visual medium, I think. Um, and so one of the things that we're trying to do with this project is to get people to focus on the senses that maybe are, are overlooked, um, that aren't talked about and understood in the same sort of way as, as say, visual culture is. Um, and and there's, there's a kind of shared quality there about sound and flavour that, that we think makes them go together really well, that kind of playfulness.
0: How did all this come about? Like, how did you get to this point, having started and set up Unusual Ingredients?
3: We began, so we are both uh, musicians and music uh, creators, and we basically began talking about our shared interests, um, and we really like food. So we thought, could we do a thing where we smash those two together and see what it is? And we tried lots of different ways to think about that. And we explored like what people had done, what other musicians had been doing. Um, and we found things we liked, found things we didn't. And over a period of development, we kind of more uh, narrowly defined what we wanted to do, which was bring food and music literally together. So there's a lot of stuff where it's metaphor-based, uh, metaphor but we wanted people, as you have today, to be tasting and um, listening at the same time and using that cross-modality and, and multi-sensory experience to create something that is greater than the sum of its parts. So we've kind of set on that area and then to the that's led to doing events because it's a great way to share those two experiences. Mm-hmm. And we've done bits where we've um, made music for specific events for
1: other people. And it's kind of just been going down that line so far. We did a whole load of research between the two of us and we actually came across Caroline. We didn't know Caroline previously. We reached out to her because she uh, does a lot of work in multi-sensory work, basically, with food and different senses. Uh, We also reached out to uh, the Vegetable Orchestra in Vienna, um, who are kind of exactly what they sound like, actually. Um, They're amazing. And we did a bunch of workshops and things with them. uh, And we were kind of really inspired what they do, but we decided what we wanted to do was kind of slightly adjacent to that. So rather than making music out of food, Although that is a part of what we do, we wanted to make music for food. And so that's really kind of how this project has developed and sort of looking at more and more ways of being creative with those two mediums and bringing them into contact with each other.
0: So how do you go about composing the music for the food? Like, and what kind of sparks ideas? Is it What comes first, basically, the music or the food?
3: For some of them, um, we'll come across some research that someone's done uh, exposing a certain uh, phenomenon about the relationship and we see a potential in that and then we get the food and try and experience it to exploit that relationship. Um, when we were doing the album uh, we went round several supermarkets uh, and just looked at different things on the shelves and went what could we do with that to try and get ideas um, because it normally has to come from the food first and then we, we do music to fit that. Um, there's been a few times where we've started musically but it's very difficult if you're not having a specific goal of what you can uh, manipulate or exploit so it's generally been finding the
1: food item or, or caroline coming to us with an idea of what could work really well and then us running with that and we've found that you know some some foods work really well and some foods just don't work that well they're just not so easy to work with creatively because um they maybe are a bit more closed you know they don't have so many possibilities
3: we um, did a track for szechuan peppercorns uh, but we quickly learned that so few
1: people like them that it's uh, <laughs> it's a really difficult sell that one
0: they numb your mouth right you're yeah, the, the ones same. that yeah
1: well yeah but that, so what, what kind of got me excited about that right the, this is sort of again like towards the beginning of the project when we're just like wow these are these are things you can do like you can get these special effects you know and and with szechuan peppercorns there's, there's studies which show that When people eat them, if you then have little kind of pads that vibrate and people put their fingers on them, they vibrate at different frequencies and people have to rate, like they say from one to five, how closely it matches what's happening in their mouth. And it was pretty well consistent that people would choose the same frequency. So it was something going on between the finger and the tongue that you wouldn't normally expect. And so we created a track that was designed basically around those particular frequencies so that it would accentuate it but also so that it would just get people thinking about that super weird phenomenon that you would not expect at all.
0: Can businesses kind of utilize this and play certain music in certain settings to to evoke certain responses?
1: Yeah. Uh, that's already happening in um, lots of settings. Uh, So like if you go to um, a restaurant or a food shop or whatever it might be, uh, you you can think about um, each business has its own soundtrack in a way which is sort of geared towards the people they want to come into their shop. But it's also trying to make them behave in particular ways. So it's, it's making use of a particular phenomenon called entrainment, which is where like if you hear a beat, you start to tap your foot in time to that beat and everybody in the room also does the same thing. And we all become kind of locked into a particular way of like behaving and thinking and feeling. So shops use that a lot in order to kind of get people to buy more, spend more money, to get them to eat more quickly in a restaurant. Like think about a fast food restaurant compared to a sort of fine dining experience and the kind of music you might hear there. And like there's there's cultural reference points, you know, about like... Uh, Quality. So think about a car advert with classical music playing in the background, and say, okay, this must be a high-quality product. Um, So there's that going on, but there's also just the simple fact of whether the music is fast or slow, like what the BPM is, um, that's affecting how quickly people eat, how much they buy, how much they're willing to spend, and also kind of just what they feel about that overall sensory experience.
0: Yeah. So yeah, it's like people should be thinking about these things, but they they just don't because they don't think about it or think it's a thing or even.
1: Well, they don't, they just maybe don't know about it. I mean, like one of the really magical things about this whole field in a way, um, this sort of you know, multi-sensory perception and the research into it, that I find is that um, people can consciously learn about the fact that these things are happening and yet still not believe them. <laughs> so you can say to people like, look- <laughs> I still don't buy it. <laughs> here, here's, a, here's a whole load of, of uh, scientific studies that show that these things are connected. And they're like, yeah, okay. And they're like okay now now try it and they go well it tasted different but it can't surely can't have been the music (laughs) but there's nothing else that was different about it and so you you can you get this kind of like sense of maybe almost like different bits of the brain colliding you know it's like they're arguing with each other um the one part of their brain is telling them that they're having this experience that something's happening but the other conscious part of their brain is going no no it couldn't possibly be that are we trying to come across like misunderstood
0: artists (laughs) 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 people want to you know, do it at home because obviously that w- has been happening during the pandemic you can get these kits which is what I've got in front of me which is a little um, cardboard box and you can go online and you've got you know it's, it's not like to, in order to do this you have to come to one of your shows you can you can do it at home.
3: Absolutely yeah so uh, via our website which is unusualingredients.co because we are special, um, you can get either a vinyl box set which we designed uh, with a designer in Leeds called Split where you have test tubes with all the different food items in and you have a vinyl record or you can buy an experience pack where as you say you have the ingredients uh, packaged up and then you can either listen to it, we'll send you a download code or on Spotify and if you want to do neither of those things uh, you can use ingredients you have in the house and just try it with um, Spotify. So ones we did uh, today you could try with dark chocolate or coffee for the sweetness modulators
0: thank you very much and looking forward to trying some of the cocktails
3: great thank you very much for having us yeah thank you very much
0: Okay, so we're now going to talk about cocktails and um, the immersive event tonight at Absent Ear. And I'm joined by Zach and Jamie who work here at Absent Ear. So hi guys, how are you?
4: Wonderful. Yeah,
5: great. Thank you very much for having us.
0: Thanks for having me. Uh, so we've discussed a bit about how sound affects food and we've done a little sort of taster of that upstairs. What, what can people expect from how sound affects cocktails?
4: So we worked with the Unusual Ingredients team to listen to their soundscapes, really get a sense of what they were shooting for and how they were going to go through the event. I also did a ton of research on their work and a ton of research into gastrophysics in general, which is a thing that we automatically do a lot. And so this was just an extension of that into a little bit new of a foray with them and and their processes. So we have designed these cocktails to feature stories and, flavors that match perfectly with what their soundscapes have been. So we've tried to really create a journey within each cocktail.
5: A lot of it's about <clears throat> memory as well, right? So it's the same sort of idea with regards to food. You obviously, there's less of the tactile element with regards to drinks because you're dealing mainly with a, with a liquid. But it's still very much the theory of, you know, how a flavor and how sound can help to sort of uh, so for you to remember something and experience you might remember from childhood uh, about being in a certain place and how that made you feel, um, I mean we use a huge amount of sort of high-end cooking techniques to try to draw out these same flavours that you know chefs might do and also we then throw in you know, cool, tactile, sometimes edible garnishes as well. So there are obviously differences, but there are a lot of similarities between between dealing with the food and sound as well as the the drinks. And And it's kind
0: of a perfect place for it here because you guys do this type of thing anyway, sort of storytelling to cocktails, is that right?
4: Yeah, we really focus on the full experience. We create maximalist high concept serves and that's a thing we want to do to elicit feelings in people and really cater to all of the senses. We've accounted for all five senses, but we've never focused on a sense like sound like this before. And I don't know of a lot of bars in Scotland that that have done that. And so this is a really good learning experience for us. We've really, really enjoyed this journey because we try to curate the smell of the room. We try to curate the lights. We try to curate the volume of the music, so we already deal in other senses besides taste and and texture, but this is just an opportunity to dive in and really learn from this organization and and discover things on our own.
5: There's obviously trends in drinks, just as there are in food, and over the past 10 years there's been a big trend with uh, drinks to move to sort of almost minimal serves focusing on sort of really cool glassware and then the liquid itself uh, sort of a, a rediscovery almost of classic drinking culture with more booze heavy drinks but we wanted to kind of take that and sort of go against that trend and like Zach said this focus on maximalist serves where you don't just get served a drink in a glass and I'm, I'm not having to go at any bar that does that because that is you know. But we wanted to create this idea of it's not just a drink, it's an experience. We have focused on lots of different senses but sound is not something that we have focused on massively before in the sense of how that song or that sound is going to impact on how someone is enjoying or experiencing their drink or their serve. So that's been an amazing thing to learn about and have some more experience with, and hopefully something that we're going to take and do more of on our sort of day to day basis in the bar.
0: So what I was going to say. Is it? Do you think it will change how you the music you play and to certain drinks, or like, is it going to change how you kind of run this place and to a certain extent?
5: When we're doing something that's a specific event and it's a it's a group atmosphere, it's much easier to do that because obviously when we play music over the uh, the speakers. That's something that everyone is experiencing at the same time. Figuring out ways to, you know, potentially provide a break in the middle of an evening, which is like a surprise thing where the music suddenly changes and we serve a single serve to everyone to experience together, or potentially even just as simple as headphones and earbuds and and providing a particular sound for that person who ordered that drink to experience at that point. So there are ways to do it. It's just eye-opening in the sense of, how they actually interact and using that going forward. Yeah,
4: as bartenders, we always want to keep learning and growing in ways that improve the guest experience, specifically with unusual ingredients. A a thing that has paralleled between our values and their values is creating communal, connective experiences. And that's something that we're so interested in learning more about and, and exploring ways we can incorporate that into every service.
0: So what can people expect from the event in terms of the drinks?
4: It was very much a a collaboration between Unusual
5: Ingredients and um, ourselves. Finding out about the soundscapes and hearing about things that had worked before with these soundscapes, with food. One of the differences with regards to food and drink is that drink is usually a single sort of entity, whereas a plate of food can have many different aspects. So it's about trying to get as many of those multi-faceted parts you might find on a plate of food into one cohesive sort of element that makes sense. You know, we're not just trying to, you know, oh, it's a escape of, a, of uh, the sea so, and the seaside. So we're not just going to throw every type of seaweed and every type of anything to do with the sea at it. It needs to form a cohesive entity. And people
0: now are so much more into this, this type of thing in terms of like the experience as well as the drinks than they were, say, 10 years ago. I mean, I used to work behind a bar and it was a student bar. You guys probably don't remember screen pumps because I'm probably too young, but we tried to bring in a cocktail menu for a student bar in the early noughties and it was like, here's a list of how to make a woo-woo. And it was, you know, it was, at the time it was fine, but I think people now have, they want an experience and they want these types of crafty drinks. It's just, it's completely changed, which is why I think you guys have done really well. I'm recently won, well, you're named in the top, 50 UK cocktail bars so how how does that feel and what do you think you're going to do moving forward in terms of like because you've been first Glasgow bar on that in a while it was a
5: real surprise we had no idea that we were even I mean we hoped but we had we had no real sort of concrete evidence that we were even going to be considered for something like that especially we had only been really been open for eight months at the time yeah it was amazing with all of these things where it's sort of a list you know to be 26 in that list at you know, 35th, 15th, It does. it doesn't particularly matter where we land in that list, but for us to be considered, because a lot of these things are very London-centric, as with most things in the UK can be, and so for us to even just be considered as a bar outside of London that is on par with these other bars, after so, you know, not being open for, for that long, was, yeah, it was incredibly, we were incredibly proud of the work that we have done, and you know, hopefully that is in the end. You need to be top 50 in your own country before you can be top 50 in the world. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, hopefully that's just the the beginning. That's, uh, that's the start of our journey here and that we can, you know, keep going on and, and, you know, moving up that list, even though I just said it doesn't matter, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving up that list and then, you know, uh, targeting even, you know, uh, bigger
4: things. We didn't necessarily... This Start on this journey just to the make the list. It, it. We started on this journey to make an incredible barn, and an incredible team and be an incredible. Um,
0: so it's
4: <laughs> essentially that, but it's so
0: like drinking a forest. It's quite unique. there's a bitterness there, you know, fire earthy, and earthy. Wow. Uh, well, thanks very much, and looking forward to experiencing like cocoa around the It Smells quite sort of bitter. We've also been handed some moss, which when you smell that, it's like of a forest floor, which sounds really daft, but really fresh.
4: Well,
5: thank you.
0: Thank you very much. And you talked about COVID there and it sort of hampered what was you are going to be doing. It's also, people were in lockdown and they became more appreciative, I think, of the sounds of the quiet cities and, you know, the birds singing. And have you found that that's kind of, people now are more interested in what a sound does in a way that maybe wouldn't have been Years ago,
2: Yeah, I think, created by I think the isolation and, Adam, and the I'm most Caroline, collective part of and anthropologist getting COVID created this hyper-awareness of the senses. So first of all, i the imminent ES. threat of losing our sense of taste and smell as well. So we were forever sniffing whether we lost our sense of self, made us really aware of our sense of taste. So for me, it's a, I'm it's a really exciting Caroline part Chipkinson to be working with the senses from and experiential. So hi. I've hi. been Caroline, very busy you? ever since. because. You Before too? that, I almost had to convert people to the idea of like, you know, wouldn't it be amazing having sonic seasoning and how sound really marks how the day or the linearity of your day? That of bird so and how did it, how that, you come to part of unusual ingredients? How did it all kind of start almost for you? almost bottle that and have that with you on your phone, the idea of waking up with two birds sound. But I think people experienced a lot of these things I've been talking about in, in lockdown. So it's role. I like sound because it's the most almost yeah surprising it's almost the forgotten sound when it comes to flavor but i think we all had that experience of being in an airplane and um you know like and having that weird white noise and everything tastes different and everyone you know orders tomato juice um or when you have a cold like the idea like that you can't you can't hear but you can't smell anything but your, your ears are slightly blocked your sense of taste does alter and i think it's really fascinating yeah. Cortex, so what's your, idea that what's your can really background but how did you, you get into this as you like come a from younger a kind sense of self so what was
0: your you feel family background type is, thing is it been an inspiration know, the from of in the family gum or just or you're something you no,
2: i think in. i'm i'm completely driven by greed <laughs> and uh, i went to london and i studied um, at central saint martins um i studied fine art and Fun. the idea of working working and creating experiences was always something that was really interesting and then in my work, what I was really always circulating around, and it's something that's really interesting because I've been talking with Zach from Absent Ear as well, about his ritual and habits. So the idea of how rituals are used within our drinking and food culture. So I went back to um, university and studied food anthropology just to further that interest. And I'm still doing the same thing. I think the idea of food is something so forgotten. I think often, especially for females, is something that we feel like, oh, it's so mundane and it's 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 a bit like it feels a bit boring. And I think my mom was a doctor, my grandmother was a doctor, so maybe the fact that I've never seen them faff around the house cooking, it's something that is almost more has a like a more like a left field, more interesting, experimental side to it. So I'm, I don't associate it with anything negative or like putting something out of the oven. Although when I put something out of the oven, it's always maybe a gold leaf potato that will be then enhanced with mountain flavor <laughs> rather than straightforward food.
0: We've talked a bit about It'll the event, night where what is your role really
2: in the food event and also in the of the senses, and I think you almost have yeah, more to play with than just a food item. So someone works food and drink. Really so for me, I think the cocktail always, is really beautiful because they, you already have a look out for choreography to of senses. It, the senses. You know, that there's you nothing more welcoming than a, a, a chink of glasses or cheering. So there is already a lot of sound being put on a test. And atmosphere and they, in a bar. They, there is no we right or wrong. Bar that it's very, very much that people up staring. We love to go for the chatter and of glasses. it's our guiding sense. And the idea of being sometimes asked to make the association between your sense of hearing and tasting that by default people just, yeah, look and stare. So, I'm going to encourage people to obviously close their eyes and then take them on a journey and really take them through, because we have mountains, sea and forest and then we have different modulations tomorrow, so at every given point I'm going to give them a little introduction towards what food and food art is, communality, how to eat um, together and experience together and how that changes. So tonight I'm going to be guiding people through the evening and I'm going to um, take them again on a journey so we have the sea mountain and forest where and I'm going to be giving people a bit of an like an overview of exactly what is happening and why we chose the, like those those moments because I think it's really easy to, it's easier to anchor and um, a certain moment and a habitat for for those cocktails so you have a bit of a terroir but I think when it comes to drinking people know the idea of terroir from wine and the idea of where do you place a cocktail and where is it based so for the sound of the sea cocktail obviously the the idea of, of course we have seaweed but And then um, Zach mentioned we have bubbles, but I think it's really interesting to draw people's attention to it as well. So he will be saying a few words as well. And I think it's just the idea of, okay, this is it. And now we're going to take a zip. So it's like the idea of we are guiding people through it. It's a fine line with leaving enough space for an own interpretation, because, again, there is no right and wrong. It's only perception we're playing with. So it's your perception alters from... I think what I love and I find fascinating that there's a universal change in perception that everyone will feel a difference, but to what extent? Because obviously people have own associations, but we can. that's why I like to be quite vague when it comes to seaside. So we don't pinpoint it to, this is a seaside in Japan or not, because then you override people's own associations and they've been conditioned to it. So I think just to keep it open so people can find their own nice nice memory and connection towards it thank you very much thank you for 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 speaking to me and um, yeah look us up on unusual ingredients and um, our upcoming projects
0: thanks to adam jacob caroline jamie and zach for being my guests and thanks to you for listening please remember to rate review and subscribe Scran is a logical podcast that's hosted and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.